You're listening to the Look Right Naked podcast. I'm your host, Eric Bach. This is the podcast for men and women who want to look right naked without living in the gym. If that sounds like you, then you're in the right place. Let's dive in. Hey, what is going on? Eric Bach here with the Look Great Naked podcast. And today we are going to do a Q&A session. Every Monday over on Instagram, we drop over a little link where you can drop your favorite questions. We cover some of them directly on Instagram and the best ones make it directly here onto the podcast. But first, let's have a little gratitude. And the gratitude is for you for supporting the show because even when we have guests on here, we're not plugging ads. We're not plugging all that bullshit that can be really annoying that has you fast forward every five seconds whenever you're listening to a podcast or checking out a show. And so to keep us going in that direction, we ask that if you are enjoying the show and you're getting value, do you can to support us directly on Spotify, on iTunes, on YouTube. And the best way to do that is frankly, just engaging with the content. So that could be as simple as leaving a short five-star review or dropping us a comment. And let us know what specifically you are providing value on. So I've been training around knee pain for a long time now. And specifically, barbell back squats, front squats really don't do it for me anymore. Frankly, if I'm getting to the point where I drop down and pick up my daughter, you know, and I'm feeling my knees being sore after a, after a leg day. To me, the benefits of that outweigh the cost of the potential benefit of the exercise. Now, I'll still maintain the ability to squat, train my legs in different ways. And one of the ways I've been doing that has been hitting the hack squat. And so the hack squat, if you're unfamiliar, is a supported semi-horizontal squat that you can do with the machine and it takes out some of the need for the support directly on your back and provides a little bit more inherent stability. Hitting a hack squat the other day, when I was going through the exercise, my last set was supposed to be a hard set of eight. And I said, you know what? It's gut check time. Let's see how hard I'm really pushing this. And so I get through and I hit eight reps and I'm thinking, you know what? That was difficult, but I've got more in the tank. So I did two more reps, took a big breath. I did two more reps. I took a big breath then I did another rep. And so all in all, I think I ended up getting something like 15 reps with a weight that I thought was heavy enough to really elicit a training response. The reality is I wasn't pushing myself nearly as hard as I thought I was. And sometimes that happens when you switch up exercise variations, you're getting in the groove, you're testing new things. There's going to be some variability in the learning curve there, but that's why we have to occasionally take exercise exercises to that point of muscular technical failure, obviously in the safest manner possible. What that showed me was, you know what? I've got to ramp up the weight. I've got to control that tempo. I've got to really dial in how hard I am pushing some of these exercises, specifically the hack squat in this case, because my goal was to finish with a top end set of eight where I have maybe one or two reps in reserve. So reps in reserve is basically gun to your head. You can knock out one or two more reps. That would be one or two reps in reserve on an exercise. I added some plates. I did another set. And finally, I hit eight with just about as much effort as I could and increasing the weight about 90 pounds. So I was off. And so the reason I'm sharing this is what I want you to do in your training at some point this week, take an exercise actually to the point where you are hitting failure. Obviously, failure in a safe way where you can optimize technique, where you can keep everything dialed in. But doing so is going to be first a gut check for you to test your limits, but also a way to establish, are you training heavy enough? Are you training hard enough to really elicit the gains that you are looking for? All right, gang, now let's get in to the questions that were submitted. And hey, I apologize if you hear me sniffle at all. Kids are back in school. That means new immune systems, which means new coughing, sneezing, and things that toddlers do coming right back at home. And, uh, you know, being a parent, if you are one, you can definitely relate to always enjoying a nice additional head cold or sniffles that, uh, that come with the territory. 
Anyway, let's uh, let's get after it. My primary goal here is fat loss mode, and I'm usually finishing eating for the day at or before 8 p.m. My bedtime is 10.30 or 11, but I sometimes realize that I'm two to 300 calories below my target intake, and I am no longer hungry. Do you recommend finding a way to get those extra calories that evening after I've already stopped? my planning eating, or should I skip them to accelerate fat loss? Here's what we need to consider, right? Taking calories lower, especially if your calories are already set at a good spot to lose body fat, isn't necessarily going to speed it up. In fact, you have to think about your metabolism like a thermostat. The more we eat, the more it ramps up. The less we eat, the more it cools down, which is why you can't just focus on following a linear diet and taking calories lower and lower. It's a process where you have to go with the ebbs and flows directly of the biofeedback that's coming back. And so in this case, a couple things. Doing a great job of eating roughly, stopping your food about three hours before bedtime, that is ideal because if you eat too close to bedtime, it's not that, you know, eat after eight, gain weight. It's that eating later and closer to your bedtime is going to negatively impact both sleep quality and digestive quality. And neither one of those things are going to help you lose body fat. And so if you're two or 300 calories short, what I would look at doing would be look at some of the earlier meals that you're having in the day and see if you can increase the portion sizes with the things that you're having and just eat more of the same foods versus trying to add another meal. Really, it's not going to benefit you from taking calories lower and lower and lower because once you take your calories to a point where they get low enough, taking them lower isn't really going to serve you. It's just going to dig a deeper hole, meaning you're going to have to probably add those calories back in and adjust your training across the board. So just increase those portion sizes. Up next, hey, if we have 30 minutes max to train in fat loss is a goal, what is the best workout split to follow? Okay, if you're 30 minutes max to train, you know, that's not a lot of time, but I totally get it. And fat loss is the goal. What I would focus on would be three days a week, you want to focus on a total body training split. Here's exactly how you can set that up. Each workout, you're going to have a lower body exercise. So pick one of these variations a squat variation, so any type of squat, you can include a leg press in there. The next day you would have a hip hinge, so think a deadlift, Romanian deadlift type exercise. Or the, and the third day we would have a single leg exercise. This could be a split squat, Bulgarian split squat, walking lunge, all different variations that you can choose from. Each workout for the week would have one of those exercises, in them. Next, you're going to pick a push and a pull, an upper body push, upper body pull exercise to include in each workout. So we're going to have, there we're up to three exercises. So the examples could be day one, you're going to have maybe a squat, a bench press and a row. Day two, you're going to have a Romanian deadlift, a single arm bench press, a single arm row. And then the third day could be a, let's see, a split squat, dumbbell overhead press, and then a lat pull down or a chin up, right? And finally, after that, we could have type of isolation exercise that's going to fit what your goals are. So if you're training your arms a little bit more, cool. We could actually focus on some direct arm work each day that month. We have one exercise for biceps and triceps each of the three days and bam, there we are. And so the reason we want to set up a workout like this, especially if time is limited, one of the biggest mistakes that people make is they pick a training split that they can't do completely. So the example would be if you're having a body part split, but you're only training three days per week, you're probably going to skip leg day or you're probably going to skip some shoulder work or you're going to skip your back work, never chest day, but you're going to have so many gaps directly within your workout that it's not going to be balanced. And when you train in a way that's unbalanced for your physique and for what your goals are, you're never going to hit the ultimate goal that you set forward. You're going to have gaps in what you do, injuries, imbalances, stuff like that will build up. What we want to do when time is very hard to come by is we want to dial things back and we want to create a plan that helps us do what we need to, even when life is going to be a little bit crazy versus trying to set up a program for when circumstances are perfect because they very rarely are. So that's what I would focus on. A total body training split three days per week, about five exercises. You might have to take away some of the isolation work, but that's going to fill in all the gaps that you need. 
All right, next one. I've had a few questions on this recently, but it was, hey, I count macros, but I don't really focus on the calories. What should I count first? And so this is kind of a misguided that I see. I saw it a lot, like probably eight years ago when it was the if it fits your macros crowd and that style of dieting and nutrition was very popular. Just to take a quick step back, if it fits your macros, the basic idea here was, listen, as long as you hit your numbers for what you need in terms of calories, protein, or sorry, in terms of carbs, protein, and fats, don't worry about the quality of the foods that you eat. This is an overly simplified way of eating where a lot of people would just go on the McDonald's diet, fit whatever these different foods are, and they would still find a way to lose weight. But what this doesn't take into account is the other aspects of food, the phytonutrients, the vitamins, the minerals, all of these other aspects that are crucially important. And a lot of people used it as a way to fit in a lot of junk and shit type food into their diet. Not something I generally recommend, but not to get too sidetracked here. If you are counting your macros, you're going to have your calories already, right? Because for four calories per gram of protein and carbohydrates, nine calories per gram of fat. And hey, if you're drinking alcohol and you're tracking that, we got seven grams per or seven calories per gram of alcohol. You are already going to have the calories in alignment. So what you should focus on is pay attention to the calories because ultimately calories are king, right? It doesn't matter how clean your diet is. It doesn't matter what the percentage of all your macros is. If your calories are out of alignment with what your overall physiological goal is. Listen, if you're eating 3000 calories of good food, but you need to be at 2000, you're still going to gain some body fat right? You'll gain some muscle, but you're also going to gain some body fat. So don't fall in a trap of just focusing on the macros themselves. Like your calories have to be in alignment. Otherwise you're really missing the forest for the trees. But if you're just trying to focus, what's the most important macro for you to hit? In this case, you know, you want to focus on protein, right? Get about one gram per pound of body weight in terms of protein. Yes, that does sound high, but yes, you can do it. And that's what's going to be needed. If you want to maximize lean muscle growth and looking great naked after that, it comes down a little bit more to personal preference, right? If we look at the research and we look at things like I made it analysis of all the different diets that are out there, we find that across a population, if we hold for calories and we hold for protein, that fats, carbohydrates, they can really come down to personal preference. A little bit better with a lower carbohydrate approach, lean into that. If you do a little bit better with a lower fat approach, lean into that one. But one consideration you do want to make in this case is your macronutrient split should be in alignment with your stress levels and the way that you train. As an example, if you're doing a lot of volume in the gym, a lot of sets, a lot of reps, you're hitting maybe a lot of interval training, a lot of athletic-based movements, that's going to be an ideal situation to have a higher carbohydrate intake and a lower fat intake. And a lot of people invert this, especially with the popularity of ketogenic diets, low carb diets, so on and so forth. And if we don't give our body the fuel that it needs, it can perform, but it's not going to perform optimally. Your stress reaction, all that stuff can be out of alignment. And pretty soon it feels like you're doing everything right because your macro split is all over the board and not in alignment with the style that you train. Your body is not getting the best possible results. So that's something you want to consider first. Make protein the focus. Make sure that your calories are in alignment with everything else. Great question coming in here. Do you have any tips on warming up your knees before squats and single leg movements? Maybe it's my form, but I could feel some crackling in my joints. Now things are a little bit more sore than usual, even though I warm up as I get going. Yeah, this is definitely common. You know, knees just happen to be one of those joints that can take a little bit longer, especially when you get a little bit older and you've got more mileage on them directly. Here are a few things that I like to focus on. First, we want to get some more blood flow before we start to hit some of these heavier and compound exercises. And so what I like to focus on would be, hey, get a couple minutes on a bike or rower, whatever 
you have available just to increase the blood flow, getting a solid warm up, right? That should be a non-negotiable. It's going to make a big difference. If needed, it can be helpful to wear a couple layers. So I like to wear like full leg compression. Sometimes I'll throw on sweatpants, even in the warm months, just so I get the blood flow going in my legs. My joints feel so much better. But if we want to talk specifics within a workout itself, before I train something, that's going to be a knee dominant exercise. So this could be a lunge, a split squat, a Bulgarian split squat, a squat, even things like a, like a clean, if those are in for a performance focused uh, program, I'll focus on actually getting a pump in my hamstrings first. And this does a couple things. First, it helps lubricate the knee joint because we're forcing more blood directly in there. And we're also going to pre-pump your hamstrings. And so if you go deep into a squat, you'll actually notice that the hamstring basically provides a cushion on the base or on the bottom of the exercise. The goal here isn't to annihilate your hamstrings. It's not to be sore, but if you can get a very light pump doing something like a seated leg curl, if you've got a machine, it could be a stability ball leg curl or even a leg curl with rings or a TRX. Do two sets of 10 to 12 reps with a slow focus eccentric. That can make a huge difference in terms of how your knees feel because you get that pre-pump of the hamstrings, more joint lubrication across the board. That can make a big difference. In addition, I always like to do a few warm-up sets on lower body exercises, right? So if I have a workout that says do three sets of five, I'm not jumping right away and doing a heavy set of five. Like if it's my first time touching a bar or first time doing the exercise, I might do two or three quick sets of eight to 10 reps just so I can grease the groove, optimize technique and get the blood flowing. And this is a huge mistake that I see a lot of people make where they go in the gym, they say three sets of five and they just jump right into that exercise. The stronger you get, you're going to need to ramp up a little bit. And if you don't, you're not going to be able to perform optimally. And in many cases, it's going to take two sets really to optimize your technique. And by that time, you've really cut out the usable volume that's going to make a big difference in your physique by 60. 66% in that example, right? So that's something to focus on. I can't feel my delts engage on lateral raises. What should I do? All right, so a couple quick and easy rules you can take if you're ever struggling in terms of engaging in exercise and really feeling that muscle contract, right? One of the biggest issues I see across the board, people go way too fast when they train. There are certain instances where, yeah, you want to lift fast or with that explosive intent. If you're doing a jump, you want to jump with a lot of power and be explosive. If you're doing a power clean, a snatch, any of those versions, you want to be fast and explosive. If you're doing a medicine ball throw, fast and explosive. Kettlebell swing, you want to have a quick snap of your hips. You want to be fast and explosive. In other cases, especially isolation exercises, the goal isn't to be explosive. What a lot of people do is they just focus on the concentric, so just lifting the weight with no focus on pausing, on controlling that eccentric or the way down. I see this in 99% of people. And when we have form checks come in with new clients inside of our Look Great Naked protocol, it's another big thing that we see. And so if you're struggling to feel your delts engage on lateral raises, a couple things. One, try doing a scapular plane lateral raise. So instead of coming directly out to the side, like you can see me doing on YouTube right now, you want to come out at about a 15 degree angle to the front of your body. That's going to be a different line of pull and really help you engage on that lateral raise a lot more, you're going to feel that delt fire up. But in addition, try these tactics and you can take these and you can extrapolate them and apply them to any exercise that you are struggling with to feel that mind-muscle connection. So when you get to the top of the movement, pause for one to two seconds and then take a three to four second eccentric down. We have to focus on every part of the muscular contraction if we want to be able to get the most out of it. And this is especially crucial if your goal is transforming your physique and not just training for performance. Again, I see this all the time in athletes or in people who do CrossFit, right? They just lift explosive. They lift heavy. They lift fast, trying to get the reps done instead of focusing on feeling the muscle contract. When you make this shift in this perspective of how we want to train individual exercises based on a physical goal, then your body is going to start to transform at the same time, especially on isolation. 
isolation exercises. Slow down, hit some pauses, take three to four seconds on an eccentric, and really mentally think about engaging those muscles. That's going to really improve that mind-muscle connection, and you're going to feel it that much better. As a result, you're going to see better muscle growth across the board. Eric, what is the best training for endomorphs? So this comes back to kind of the idea of body type training, doing a type of exercise that's going to be best for you. And so some of the people who have put shit out like this, where this is the best way to train for endomorphs, ectomorphs, mesomorphs. Some of them are grifters, not going to lie. I think there's a little bit of credence to leaning into a training style that fits your body. And so in the case of an endomorph, an endomorph is generally somebody who's going to be just bigger, blockier, you know, think more like an offensive tackle, right? Whereas like a mesomorph would be kind of that muscular, but lean and out an athletic blend where it would be somebody who's more like a, I mean, still pretty jack, but like a, like an NFL linebacker. And then if we had somebody who's an ectomorph, naturally skinny, thinner arms, thinner legs, thinner joints, think like a runner, right? So a lot of times when it comes to exercise selection, people will self-select to the type that is a little bit better for their body type. As an example, people who are naturally thinner will tend to gravitate towards running. One of the mistakes that other people make is thinking that person is running because they are thin. Well, the reality is people tend to lean into things that naturally fit their structure, that fit their style, and then because they enjoy it a little bit more, then they stick with it, right? In the case of an endomorph, you might find weightlifting to be a great strategy simply based on your overall structure. And it doesn't mean that you can't try different modalities specifically for exercise, but I would lean into things that are going to be focused more on building top end power because naturally your body will have a bit of a benefit in doing some of these based on joint structure, so on and so forth. But, you know, by and large, what we have to think about though is the underlying principles for changing your body do not change because of your particular body type. You know, building muscle, the the underlying processes are still the same. Building strength, the underlying processes are still the same. Building endurance and better overall health are still the same. And so while you might want to lean into the things that are naturally going to be a better skill for you because that's going to help you stay consistent and staying consistent while applying these rules is what's going to help you transform your body. You don't necessarily have to dramatically shift what you're doing or thinking that you're missing something based on your body type. And that's where a lot of these questions get a little bit misguided when it comes to body type training. Eric, what is your top piece of advice for balancing family, fitness, and business? So the big thing here is getting clear on what matters to you and then setting your day up for success, right? I've read way too many books on maximizing time management, getting clear on the most important things, but they all help, right? And so one of the best books I would recommend in this and the work of my uh, my good friend and mentor, Craig Ballantyne, would be The Perfect Day Formula and The Perfect Week Formula. These books do a great job of helping you get clear on what are the most important things to you and then setting your day up for success. And the most important thing is to master that morning. A lot of people get stuck chasing gurus, looking at biohacking, all these different you know morning routines, all this bullshit and all these things to help improve their mental state instead of focusing on the one thing that's going to move the needle going forward. And so what happens and many times people will meditate, they will do a cold bath, they will sing all these different, you know, mindset tools, all this different shit before the day actually gets going. And pretty soon they spent an hour trying to get their mind ready. And now they're behind racing and frantic for the rest of the day. I don't want that for you. So what I find to be very simple, and this is what helped me build my online coaching business when I was working 12, 14 hour days on the gym floor was just get up and do the most important thing, right? And so for me, my daughter wakes up around 630 in the morning. I'm up at five. I'll do a little bit of reading because that primes my brain. And then what I'll do is I'll get down writing the content creation, right? So it could be writing, it could be writing emails, it could be creating social media content because the most important thing to keep my business growing is to consistently be putting out value. And so if I start the day doing something proactive to build my business, as an example, it allows me to know that the business is going to move forward no matter what I have to react to with different things that are coming in, being a business owner, being a coach, so on and so forth. My top piece of advice would be get clear on what the most important thing that you can do is each 
each day and then get up before everybody else and knock it out. If we want to talk about that in the realm of fitness, when I look at the clients that I've had, and I've had some of these clients now for 12, 15 years, which has been wild, they're also generally high performers in what they do professionally, right? And so quick example would be my client, Brian. I've seen Brian was you know working in the oil industry when we first started working together. He got his master's while doing this and raising a family. And he also exited a business successfully and is now CEO of a different one, right? Incredibly successful, hardworking guy. We worked together. He was my 6 a.m. client three days a week for something like seven years, right? And now he's an online coaching client. And he drove every morning. And before he really went into work, he drove about 45 minutes down to where we worked downtown and where the gym happened to be, got his workout in. And he got this workout in at 6 a.m. because he knew he knew if he waited until later in the day, there would always be some different event. There'd be some work emergency. Something would always come up. And so for in his case, it was, I need to, if I'm going to do something for myself, I'm going to commit to doing it in the morning. Even if it means I'm driving through the snow, even if it's 5 a.m. and I'm driving and I'm exhausted because I'm working my ass off, I'm working out and I'm taking care of my family, right? And so it comes down to setting up some of those components and knocking out the most important thing first and being clear on what a win looks like. Finally, if we look at the back end of the day, we need a definitive stop point, right? We all have these freaking cell phones, all these different things that want to keep us connected 24-7, 365. And if we do not set boundaries in our use of technology and frankly, in our business, in our professional career where we're always available, people are not going to respect that boundary, right? So it's up to us to set what that is. And so what I would recommend is set a definitive stop time and then have a short buffer period in your day where you can go from maybe executive function work mode to family. And so the example for me, you know, I tend to wrap up around 4.30, 4.45. And when I do put my phone down and I drive to the beach, I happen to live by the ocean now, absolutely wonderful. And I'll walk the beach anywhere from 15 minutes, to 30 minutes with zero inputs. And then I'll pick up my daughter on the way home, right? And so this short buffer period allows me to go from a place where I've been creating content, been helping clients, been dealing with, you know, putting fires out in a business, which happens in any business and allows me to decompress, to de-stress and build that buffer time in enough where I can focus on being a good present husband and a father. And so finding that buffer time, whether it's your commute, anything else can have a profound difference really in all these different areas, because listen, like your fitness is the force multiplier, but every different area of your life is connected, right? How we do anything is how we do everything. And we have to be able to keep in balance and in synergy to be able to get the best possible results. Eric, I'm looking at jumps into my training. I want to get more explosive. What, which way should my arms go? All right. This is something that drives me nuts. I see uh, people swinging their arms the wrong way when they're doing a jump in the gym, right? What we need to think about when we're doing an exercise like a jump, we are primarily doing it because we want to activate our central nervous system. We want to get stronger. We want to get explosive. The reason this is important is as we get older, the first muscle fibers we lose are fast twitch muscle fibers. When we lose these fast twitch muscle fibers, one, we can't do the cool athletic shit that we love anymore. That sucks. It's ego, especially if you've been an athlete. But in conjunction, if we want to think about this from a long-term perspective, when we start to lose that fast twitch muscle fiber engagement, we start to lose a little strength, power, and speed. And if we look at this in a long-term, and this is why it's really interesting to see research on older populations and training, you can actually lose your ability to, for example, put your foot out in front of you and catch yourself in the case of a fall. And so anyone who's seen the data on falls and longevity, it ain't pretty, right? And so Jumps are something I like to incorporate with, you know, clients of all different ages. We just have to do it in the most joint friendly way possible, whether it's box jumps, so on and so forth. Back to the original question, which way do my arms go? If you can see me on YouTube right now, arms should start up on a jump, 
come down as you load and then back up. And what we need to think about is your arms are like loading a spring. And so we want to aggressively throw our arms down as we drop into that squat and then throw them up as we jump and as we take off. That's going to help you load. That's going to help you leverage elastic energy and generate more force on your jumps. When you see people doing it the opposite way, typically where you see this would be some general gym class where it's like athletic conditioning, high intensity based, where you know, you're know you going to see people straining Achilles tendons and, and spraining ankles and doing shit on BOSU balls. Um, generally, you want to avoid that as much as you can. Think of your arms like a spring. You want your arms to throw down as you decrease or as you drop down into a squat and then up as you come back up. Okay. Finally, we have a business question. My online business is stuck. Is the industry too too saturated to stand out? In any business, saturation is a sign that there's a high demand for what the offer is. And so this is what I see a lot in terms of people who are struggling with their business. And they look at this idea of, hey, it's saturated. How can I actually stand out here? And so the answer is quite simple and straightforward. You have to be really good at what you do. You have to clearly communicate how you're different. And you have to clearly show that you get results. You have to do it in a way that's congruent, in a way that builds trust, and in a way where you can stay consistent across the board, right? And so for a lot of times what happens, people are looking for you know something that's going to be a quick process or a quick fix. And the reality is it's not. Business is always evolving. And so when it comes to standing out, a few of the best recommendations I would have when it comes to building your online businesses, first, double check yourself. Are you getting consistent testimonials and really good results with your clients? Because if you're not, then your product isn't great enough. And you can have the best marketing and the best sales in the world. But if the product itself isn't great, eventually that's going to fizzle out. If you get people incredible results and they're willing to tell people about it, that's a great sign that you have an excellent product. Most people struggle with it is going to be the marketing, so getting your information out there, or the sales actually converting people who are interested into paying clients. Those are individual issues that we need probably a little bit more attention, but we'll talk about the marketing side for a second. If you are just like everybody else, you're going to fail to stand out, right? And so ultimately in fitness, there are key principles that lead people to transform their body. We all know this. And small differentiations in what you do and your individual process, such as naming it, can help it stand out a little bit more. But even more importantly, it's you standing out as a person, right? One of my mentors years ago, John Romanello said, people don't buy coaching, they buy coaches. People have to know, like, and trust you before they want to invest in your service. They have to believe that you're going to be the one who's going to help them get results. And they have to know that you have their back and that you're a person of high integrity. When it comes to this, and especially in today's world, you have to show up consistently. You should be showing up on social media, getting your posting done, whether it's email marketing, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, whatever it is. And you shouldn't miss because if you're inconsistent with your content output and providing value to the people that you want to be able to help and that you want to be able to invest in your services, well, guess what? They're inherently going to understand that you're not going to be consistent enough to show up when they need you, right? And so it's about finding a cadence where you can be consistent with your messaging, show the incredible value that you have, showing social proof of the results you can get in building those connections. Because ultimately, coaching does come down to relationships, especially online, especially when people have seen all these, frankly, shitty online coaching businesses and apps and all this stuff and feel burned by it. You have to really stand out as an individual. The way that you look, the way that you perform, the way that you speak, the way that you communicate. And in many cases, that is the missing element to building that online coaching business. Gang, that is all we have today for the FAQ. Make sure that you are staying tuned directly on Instagram for when we do these. These happen every single Monday. So that is at Bach Performance. And we will keep getting those questions out. Now, in the meantime, hey, if you can, if you got incredible value directly from this podcast, please drop me a quick review, five-star review, and or a comment if you're checking out on YouTube because, hey, we want to keep this show free. We want to keep it high leverage and high value directly for you. So, hey, if, if you're getting value here, just make sure you drop us some love so we know what we are doing is making an impact. That's all for today. 
Hey, it's Eric here again. Now, there are three ways that I can help you look great naked. Number one, if you want to grab a free copy of the Look Great Naked Protocol to help you lose body fat without counting calories, then go to bachperformance.com backslash free training. Number two, if you're a busy guy looking to build muscle, then I recommend checking out our Minimalist Muscle Blitz, which has helped over 1,000 men build muscle without living in the gym. Just go to minimalistmuscleblitz.com. The link will also be available in the show notes. Or number three, and last, if you want to work with me directly and get the best results possible, apply at bachperformance.com backslash coaching to look great naked without living in the gym. Until next time, my friend. 